Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. Episode 251, Ain't Never Had a Friend Like Me, Aladdin, and the Truth About the Gin. Ooh, the gin. Yes. You know, before we get to that, though, I want to talk about the people that make our wishes come true. And those are the people who leave reviews on the iTunes yeah. page. So who's who's the latest wish bringer? Our Wendy? our personal genie today yes. is Donna Lee 81. Donna Lee 81. Yeah. Who left this kind review on iTunes for us. It says, thank you. Glad I came across your podcast better late than never. I'm a huge fan of Patrick Keller's The Big Seance. Ah, uh, yes, Patrick. Patrick. And he recommended your podcast. I enjoy both your shows immensely. I not only gain information, but I also get to laugh out loud. Keep up the good work. I hope to meet you at a Paracon sometime. As Patrick would say, you rock. Oh, well. And that's awesome. And Patrick rocks. He does rock. He does rock. And I'm sure we will see him again in Alton next week. Yeah, that's Uh, where we met him originally. Yep, at the Haunted America Conference in Alton, Illinois, which is uh, just outside of St. Louis, a site of some Civil War battles and things like that, and, and really haunted, haunted as F. Okay. But yeah, we had fun because his booth was right next to ours. So um, it was nice to have another podcaster nearby. Mm -hmm. And thank you so much, Patrick, for recommending our podcast. And we also heartily recommend his podcast, which is The Big Seance. It is a good podcast. It's really great to listen to after you listen to 251 episodes and see you on the other side. (laughs) It's great. He does a wonderful job and it's a really, really well produced um, program. And Donnelly, thank you so much for taking the time to leave this review. Uh, and for listening to paranormal podcasts of all sorts. Yeah, no, we need more people like you, Donnelly. So tell your friends and everybody out there, tell your friends. If you leave a five-star review and something nice on our iTunes, we will read it online for you. Yeah. And if you wanted us to read it in a special accent or anything like that, we'll do that too. <laughs> like you said to say in the review, like, I want you to read this awesome review on on the air. We will do it. That's right. It's true. We will. And Donnelly, hopefully we will meet you at a Paracon. And there's a bunch of them coming up in the very near future. Yes. So we'll keep an eye out for you. But make sure you say hello at our booth if we are there. Yes. All right. So number one, that, that was our wishes come true. And number two, the number one movie in America last weekend uh, was Aladdin, uh, which has Will Smith as the genie. And it's the non-cartoon version. So right. it's actual actors... Such as Will Smith, yes, which just seems so bizarre to me. Like I've seen some of the screenshots from it, and it's like, I don't know. Well, I mean, I'm sure he does a good job because Will Smith is a he's a talented actor and he's oh. charming and all those things. No, I don't doubt that he's excellent. I mean, he's one of my favorite <laughs> favorites of all time. But what I mean is that imagining it as actual humans as opposed to the cartoon that we were raised. Yes, <laughs> on, but Disney, Disney's going back. And now they're reusing their intellectual property by <gasps> to going make more money. Going back, well, which is their job, to be honest. That's, that's true. And so they're going back and they're going in and making live action versions of their cartoons. Live action. So they started with Beauty and the Beast, uh, and it had like Rob Stark from Game of Thrones as Prince Charming and everything. Uh, and so <laughs> and it was a huge hit. I mean, directed by Kenneth Branagh. So it was, you know, like they, they pick like big directors to yeah. do these things. So like Kenneth Branagh does it. Kenneth Branagh, Academy Award nominated for his version of Henry V. He's done several Shakespearean adaptations. And in addition to the first Thor movie, which was that was a turd. Like I gotta say, <laughs> like he did an okay job, but it was kind of like, uh, um, but Kenneth Branagh, so they're doing this. And then Tim Burton just did a version of Dumbo. What? That was live oh, action. Oh, that's right. I did hear about that. But so that they, seems even freakier. So much CG. Right. Well, but Tim Burton, that's his kind of thing. I yeah. Mean, he, he, because True. he did the Alice in Wonderland movies and he did everything. Okay. So Disney's been going back to the well and they've been bringing these live action versions of, you know, of their, of their cartoons coming out. And I haven't seen any of them because I... Don't really like any of those Disney cartoons. I just, <laughs> Didn't like them as cartoons. Aren't going to like them. <laughs> yeah. It's just not humans. my thing. So I tell you, 
probably the only other I, I saw the, the Disney Robin Hood, the one with the um, the Fox's Robin Hood. I saw that when I was a kid um, when they did a re-release of that. Mm. And I saw that in the theater. And then I did not see another Disney movie in the theater again until Aladdin came out wow. when we were in high school. Okay. So when that came out, I was like, what? Because my girlfriend at the time was like, we should go see Aladdin. I love Disney movies. <laughs> and I'm like, no way am I paying five bucks a pop. This is when movies were not $15 a pop like there. And I was like, $5 for a date night movie, unless you could make it in before 530. So stingy, Mike. Hey, we were making three seventy five an hour at the time. <laughs> so anyway, so she's, I'm like, give me a break. And then I saw that Robin Williams was going to be the genie. I'm like, oh, oh right. gotta go. I do like Mark. Yeah. You know, I mean, everybody loved Robin Williams. Like before he got to his cheesy phase, like in the late 90s right. or whatever, he was... Like, it was exciting to watch him, and you loved him as a kid, um, even though you didn't get half of his jokes right. or whatever. You still loved him as a kid, so you're like, okay, I'll go see it. And I thought it was great, because of Robin Williams. Wow, okay. You know? Yeah. I was like, boy, this is a, this is a pretty good movie. Because huh. Robin Williams, like, they let him do whatever he wanted to do. Yeah. And, uh, they and of course, he was amazing. And they wrote the character, you know, for him, basically. Mm-hmm. But also, uh, he agreed to take less money if they would not use him as a main part of the marketing. Oh, interesting. Huh. I didn't and, know that. And then Disney's like, whoever was the executive at the time was like, you, Robin Williams is the genie and we're not going to use him in the marketing. Yeah, yeah, what? Get, <laughs> get out of town. So they just did, you know, because he agreed oh. to be paid like scale or something ridiculous. Uh, That's and, so funny. And, and so he sued Disney. Yeah. And he ended up getting a significant portion of the profits. So he made more in the end. So he made even more in the end. By getting paid less. Yeah. So just it was a funny thing because he's like, oh, yeah, I love the script. And because I want to do a favor and stuff like that, I'll work cheaply. But don't make me the main guy yeah. you know, in, in the marketing. And then, of course, every ad's like, Robin Williams right. as the genie. I just, I love how he's like, I do not want to be associated with a Disney cartoon. Right. <laughs> like, please. Well, because like if, it's stand, if you saw a <laughs> right. stand up, it's filthy. Right. And, and Disney has a, a reputation for um, fiercely protecting their family-friendly identity. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, I, had, I I wasn't a Disney guy, you know, like it just all feels like soulless corporate entertainment. No mouse ears for you. No, I, and I've been at Disney World and I get it, but I never was a fan of, like, I guess Mickey Mouse is all right, whatever, but like Donald Duck, people are like, don't you want to meet Donald Duck when you're like Disney World? Or whatever? You're like, no. <laughs> Donald Duck's a jerk. Like he's oh. always in a bad mood. He's always complaining. Like what little kid? Like I saw a Donald Duck cartoon. Wait, I don't want to hang out with that guy. Of Daffy Duck. Daffy Duck is Daffy's also a, the one that he's a jerk, but he's funny. <laughs> like he's like sarcastic. I don't think Donald's always in a bad mood. He, <laughs> he's always in a bad mood. Always squacking. I used to be able to do the Donald Duck. You did. Uh, I'm Donald Duck. Hey, that's pretty good. <laughs> That's pretty good. Not very good. Okay, I think okay. I think I'm it's out of great. practice. Thanks. I think it's great. So the thing is, Robin Williams and the, his character from Aladdin, I mean, kind of gave us our idea for a while of what it meant to be a genie. Right. right? Very well, much. And and so did I Dream a Genie. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and you that know, bottle but, looked so cozy. It did look cozy, <laughs> and it's a dun 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 dun. It's got that jazzy 1960s theme. And uh, Larry Hagman, so charming, is a young astronaut. Oh, my gosh. And Barbara Eden. I mean, I used to watch reruns. I'd be eight years old or whatever. And I'm like, okay, I mean, I guess I don't know. I'm not sure what a beautiful woman is, but she, that's it. <laughs> yeah. That is it. Very pretty lady. And so, of course, there's that story about Audrey Magini, how uh, the network censors at CBS never wanted her to show her belly button. Mm-hmm. So even though she was wearing a midriff T-shirt, right. like a 1960s Gwen <laughs> Stefani. Yeah. Uh, she they would like she always had to like pull up her pants or whatever the belt or whatever like the just elastic. over her belly button <laughs> uh, because they thought that navel gazing was just Aww. a little too hot, so risky, a little too hot for that home family mm. audience. Okay, so that's those are our ideas. And if you guys haven't heard of a genie before, what they do is you rub a lamp. <laughs> they, there's a spirit that comes out of a lamp and like a smoke, you know, and then it grants you three wishes. Yeah. And but then, you can't wish for more wishes. And that's always that's the thing. That's a rule. That's all. Because right. when I was a kid, I was like, well, duh, you just uh, wish for exactly. as many wishes as Unlimited. you want. Unlimited. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're basically like, 
you can't wish for the the genie to be your slave, pretty much. Right, unless she falls in love with you, like an I dream of genie. <laughs> That's true. You, know? you can just keep her in the bottle, and you're yeah, and just keep like you can just keep your uh, love slave in the. Um, I mean, right. So she called him master. You know, too. Right. Yeah, that was yeah. a little messed up. So when you think about like the sexual politics of today, <laughs> when you think about I Dream of Jeannie, it's like, yeah, there's this, this is extremely powerful woman that yeah. I keep in a lamp in my room and she calls right. me master. Oh, she loves me. It's fine. So number one, the word genie comes from the gin, which is an, uh, I mean, it's like an anglicized version of the word gin. You might have seen it spelled D-J-I-N-N. Or J I N N, like it doesn't. That pretty much doesn't matter because it's just anglicized versions of uh, Arabic words, and also um, they come from even the Arabic words come from pre-Arabic, pre-Islamic words, Mm -hmm. Uh, and and it's basically in the Quran. The Prophet Muhammad talks about like three different kinds of creatures that God created. Okay, so God starts out, he creates the angels, and the angels are made out of light. All right, and that's that's nice. Like angels made that's out of light, beautiful. and they do God's bidding, and they do nice things. They're yeah. messengers for God. Uh, he creates humans out of clay hmm. and earth. Okay. So we're dirt, we're dirt monsters, yeah. basically. <laughs> and creates the jinn out of smokeless fire. Ooh, that's cool. Yeah. And um, it was funny. I was listening to a podcast called uh, like Expanded Perspectives about the gin when I was doing some research and different things about this episode. And one of the guys just just completely without irony or forgetting what he's talking about goes, you know, with these stories, when there's smoke, there's fire. And all I could say is not always. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Not always, because they're made out of smokeless fire. <laughs> like he missed, like they did a whole setup there. And the other guy could have been like, mm, not all the time. And anyway. That's funny. It's a pretty good episode. And, and they go into some encounters with the gin. Mm, okay. And we're going to cover some of those encounters in, in this episode oh, too. Cool. But, so, but this is part, uh, I mean, it, they're mentioned right in the Quran. Uh, and, and the jinn are made before humans. Okay. And so part of the idea is one of the jinn, uh, Iblis, Okay, and, and this is almost like um, the the story of Lucifer, and he's the top angel, he's the light bearer. Lucifer is the one that is like all go go for God, you know. <laughs> he's God's best buddy, and he is the lead angel. And then God says, "You must bow before humans, like you. I created humans with free will, and I did not create you with free will." And so he says that to Lucifer, and Lucifer's like. Nope. I don't think so. Yeah, he's like, I am... Dirt people? No. Right, <laughs> right. I am I am not going to bow to the talking monkeys. <laughs> and that's it. So he's like, screw you guys. I'm going and making my own place in a much m- warmer climate. Oh, man. Okay. He went for it. So, <laughs> so Iblis is much like Lucifer in that he's a djinn that is not interested in bowing to humans. Okay. Too good for us. Like, yeah. So, like humans, the jinn have free will. Oh. So they are free to choose between good and evil. They have societies. They can breed. They can get married. So, basically, jinn live in a magical world alongside us. Cool. And sometimes they enter our world uh, to mess with us. <laughs> and that's the whole thing. So, that's in the Quran, this, this idea um, that the jinn are these creatures that can be good, they can be evil. Uh, and they have that choice, and they were also created by God. Mm. So, I mean, that's that's one of the that's kind of where they come from in in this idea, and that's why they're used in a whole bunch of Middle Eastern and Islamic folklore. Uh, and so, the first time most people have heard about the jinn comes from the Thousand One Arabian Nights. All right, and so if you guys haven't read the Thousand One Arabian Nights, let me go over that quick for Please you. Please do. All right. So um, it's a collection of uh, like different Middle Eastern folk tales that, that were collected and put together over a course of centuries. Oh, wow. And there's a frame story, and, and this was the frame story uh, that supports like all these the thousand stories inside it. And the frame story is you have this ruler, his name is Sharar, and this is like <laughs> in the 7th century or something. Um, this, this ruler, um, he finds out that his sister-in-law 
is cheating on his brother. And he's like, oh, uh, oh man. Not cool. So he has it killed. Oh. Man, rulers can do that in the 8th <laughs> century or whatever. And so he has her killed. And then he finds out that his wife is cheating on him even worse. Oh, no. Right? So the wife of the ruler, the queen, is taking a dip in the royal wow. pool with whoever she wants to. You'd think after the other family member situation that she right. might have uh, been she, a little more careful. Right. But then she's, I mean, she's sleeping with double the dudes. <laughs> oh, no. And so he has her executed as well. Okay. And so he's like, you know what? I'm going to marry a virgin and then I'll marry a virgin and then she'll be my queen. And that's the only people I can trust. But then he goes crazy. Oh, no. And so he marries a virgin and in the morning, he has paranoid fantasies that she cheated on with him in the night. Oh, boy. So he has her killed. And he keeps on doing this. He keeps on doing this. And his vizier, uh, you know, I never know how to say vizier, but, but it's his assistant, like his right-hand man, if this is the mafia, it would be his, like, uh, consigliere. It's his Tyrion. Yes, it's, his, it's, the, it's the hand of the king. Thank you, I think. <laughs> he can no longer, his vizier can no longer find any more virgins for him. Wow. He's like, oh, we ran out of virgins. Right. Nice, nice kingdom, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so the vizier's daughter, Scheherazade, she offers herself as the next bride. She's like, I'll do it. And the vizier's like, no way. Yeah, you're going to die. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, this guy's crazy. Uh-huh. He's killing women left and yeah. right. Don't be, don't do it. She's like, I want to do it. It's like, okay. So what happens is they get married. The night of their marriage... She starts to tell the king a tale. And then in the middle of it, she's like, but you'll have to hear the rest of it tomorrow. Ooh. And he's like, okay. Very imaginative of her. Okay, then. So the the king is curious about how the story ends. And then he's like, I won't kill you tomorrow. (laughs) And so the next night, she finishes the tale and then starts another one. And then once again, leaves it on a cliffhanger. And so she does this for a thousand and one nights. Kind of surprised that he doesn't just say, tell me the end or I'm going to kill you. Right. Well, I mean, it's <laughs> fiction, obviously. <laughs> oh. So, yeah. Oh, really? And the thing is, the different kinds of characters that appear, I mean, there's, there's love stories, there's tragedies, comedies, burlesques. Some of the stories are sexy. Um, there's jinns, ghouls, apes, sorcerers, magicians. Uh, and, and like, it's... It's a thousand stories inside this book. And eventually uh, it gets translated in the 18th century by a Frenchman. And he adds a whole bunch of stories to it that aren't originally in it. And one of those stories is Aladdin and his magic lamp. Oh, wow. So this French guy went to Syria and he's like a French traveler and storyteller. His name is Antoine Galland. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You heard me. Antoine Galland. And he goes to Syria and he meets a guy named uh, Yuhenna Diab. And he meets Yuhenna Diab and this guy's a storyteller in Syria. And he says, you know what? Uh, I want to go treasure hunting and things like that in Syria. And if you take me to these various places down to the Middle East, I will take you back to France and we'll find you a place in the court of the French court. Wow. This is 1704. So yeah. this is before... This is before the French Revolution and off with their head and things like that. So the, you know, the king's still around. And this, I mean, the 18th century is when the, yeah. the French kings were off. You living know. large. <laughs> they were living large. And even, I mean, this Diab, this, the Syrian guy, he eventually makes it to the French court and he finds out that Ant- Antoine com- <laughs> completely exaggerated his positions oh, of power and stuff. Man. But he did get to hang around in Versailles. That's a sweet place to hang out. Right. And... um like Versailles is thought to be his influ- like the influence on what would eventually become the magic garden in the story of Aladdin. Huh. So Diab adds these stories to the Arabian Nights that Galand is collecting and translates into French, makes a European version of these Middle Eastern stories. And uh, Diab kind of bases some of the stories on his own life and places he's been in and, mm-hmm. and things like that. So this idea of Aladdin... Um, the initial story, first of all, takes place in China. Oh, wow. Not the Middle East. Okay. And even, I mean, there's plenty of Muslims in China. So there's that whole like middle of China like that's not, that's more Middle Eastern oh, than it is sure. necessarily of what we think of as Asian. Mm-hmm. Um, but so like the story starts out with somewhere in China, 
And you're like, all right, then. Uh, that's like, I didn't expect <laughs> a that good one. start. Because we think of it as the Disney version, right? When you think, yeah. you think of Aladdin, you think of that he's going to be, and there's going to, like, those buildings with the Hershey's Kisses on top and stuff <laughs> nice, like yeah. that is what we think of it. Um, no, but and in the original story, what happens is uh, a sorcerer hires Aladdin to go into this cave and retrieve a lamp for him. And he doesn't tell him why. And so what happened? He gives Aladdin a ring. Drugs. <laughs> right. He wants That's to smoke sketchy. whatever people have. It is. It's this kind of thing. Like he's treating Aladdin like his drug mule. Right. Totally. Just okay. don't ask any questions. I'll give you lots of money. Yeah. Okay. He's like, you're, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make your family rich. That's what he says. Because Aladdin's not an orphan in the original story. It's not like he's some orphan boy that steals things. That kind of gets added on at a different time. Yeah. It makes it more interesting. Because treating Aladdin as a street urchin. Yeah makes him more um when he eventually becomes a uh you know the the sultan it's a higher climb for him yes it's the rags the riches story mm-hmm. that idea plus when you're telling that story to uh poor people it's that I, well no it's that idea of like we're smarter than the rich people or mm-hmm. you know we can be more clever we can be tricky and, yeah. and things like that so it's it's that uh and people love a story like that they love they love the the trickiness and the cleverness of the common man overcoming people definitely yeah it's a hero yeah <laughs> and so the sorcerer hires aladdin aladdin goes in to the cave he makes him with the magic ring and then he like rubs the ring and uh a little genie pops out the gin pops out and this is just a, a little gin and he's like oh uh that's pretty cool <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know and and so uh the genie says um because you freed me from the ring uh i will let you go back to your mother and take this lamp with you and Whoa, he's like all right that's huge right and and the thing is cuz the sorcerer sent aladdin in there mm-hmm. uh because the cave was full of traps what a jerk. Yeah, well, that's the whole point. Like he's, like he's like, I am not going to do it, so I will send this boy. <laughs> and so he sends the boy, and then he makes it out. Aladdin gets home. The genie just pops him back home. And that's the genie in the ring. And then his mother's cleaning the lamp. And there, bingo, uh, the big genie pops out. Oh, and that's, yeah. That's the one who's granting ri- oh, wishes and things like that. Cool. And... Aladdin ends up becoming rich and powerful because of the genie, marries the princess, the daughter of the sultan, uh, and then they have like the sorcerer hears about it and he comes back and that's why they have the, you know, what, what, <laughs> sure. with what happens in Aladdin. Yeah. But this idea that the genie is your buddy, you know, like the genie is your friend. That's not really what happens he's, with the He's story. your little buddy that you own. Yeah, right. He's Barbara Eden in the lamp <laughs> waiting for you anytime. Right. So... This idea that the you know the genie comes, really the stories of the genie granting wishes, it's always like the monkey's paw. Ah, okay. And so if you guys haven't read the monkey's paw, first of all, after this podcast is done, go, Do it. it's free. Go look it up. <laughs> but it's the idea of this object grants wishes, and it will grant the wishes, but not in the way that you think it's going to grant them. Yeah. And, and so that's that is the gin. You know, the djinn is often like a trickster spirit, like the African legends oh, have Anansi. Um, trickster spirits are huge in Native American legends. It's always too good to be true. Yeah. Oh, well, the, the, these, these lessons have stories in them. Yeah. In that, except for Aladdin. Like Aladdin's story like ends up <laughs> fine, I guess. Yeah. Um, but it also, it's not part of the original Arabian Nights and it's not part of the original folklore. It's the one this the guy sanitized made. Sanitized Disney yeah, version. Com- completely sanitized. Because this idea that uh, wealth, riches, love, and everything just comes to you because it's being granted as a wish, <laughs> yeah, right. The lesson is it always comes with a caveat, right? You know, you'll make a hundred thousand dollars, but it's because your aunt died, yeah, yeah, and she left you a hundred thousand dollars. Now it's basically your fault, right? So th- there's lessons in there, and and those are part of the original stories. Um, it's funny though, because because the gin, even in the Arabian Nights. Um, they serve as the trickster spirits. There's a, there's a good story about um, the fisherman and the genie. Mm. And in this one, the fisherman's out to, like, out to sea and he pulls up a bottle. Instead of catching a halibut or whatever, I don't know what kind of fish they have in the Middle East, but I'd assume that a halibut is not one of them. I don't know. <laughs> so he, he's, he's fishing the elusive uh, Persian Sea halibut. <laughs> okay. 
and then uh, gets a bottle instead. So he opens up the bottle and out pops a genie. Oh. And the genie says to him, he's like, I've been imprisoned here for hundreds of years. For the first hundred years, whoever would, uh, whoever would free me, I would grant them wishes. For the second hundred years, whoever freed me, I would thank them profusely. For the next hundred years Uh-oh. after that, I would give them a choice of deaths. Ooh. Yeah. So that's nasty. So this genie's like, now I'm going to kill you. Because he's bitter and angry because he's been stuck in the bottle for so long. <laughs> and then the fisherman, he's like, oh, okay. Um, hey, you know what? How'd you get in that bottle? He's like, you're such a big, massive creature. Yeah. How'd you fit in that tiny little bottle? And the genie will take the chance to show off. Like he won't, he won't resist it. Uh-huh. And he's like, yeah. I'll show you how I got in the bottle. And then he gets back in the bottle and gets trapped again. Nice. And the fisherman's like, what's up, That's way too easy, though. Yeah. <laughs> and so then he's like, I'll let you out again, but this time you have to grant me wishes. And then the genie does. That's surprising. Yes. Because being a trickster, you'd think he'd, he'd be like, yeah, yeah, I'll totally grant your wishes. Right. Uh, but that's the story. So that's another, like, uh, it's another, not as good of a story if he pops on and then he gets yeah, the wishes, right? Yeah, that's the, fair. Right, because then it's like, you can never beat the genie then. You can be the most clever guy in the world and yeah. never beat the genie. <laughs> so, I mean, the gin basically become an explanation for, you know, all these different things in Arabic folklore. And so uh, people can get possessed by the gin, mm. much like they, you know, in Christian theology, we think of getting possessed by demons. Yeah. In fact, possession is a big thing that happens in the United Kingdom now because they have so many Middle Eastern immigrants that they're seeing jinn possession cases in people from Pakistan, Bangladesh, the Middle East, and, and North Africa. And it, it's often just like when people get possessed by demons. Wow. They're screaming. Uh, they're talking in weird languages. Uh, what happens is like the imam has to come over so that the, um, the holy man, the, the Islamic holy man has to come over do a bunch of prayers and things. And so it, it's almost the exact same as an exorcism. It's just instead of saying the power of Christ compels you, you know, they say that you have to, like Allah demands you exit the body. And they'll, but they'll ask the jinn, like sometimes why they, you know, why they're in the body. Yeah. Some jinn fall in love with humans. Aww. And so that's the thing. They possess humans, um, because they, they fall in love with them. Trying to... Oh, wow. So unlike the devil tries to like swallow your soul or whatever right. and send you to the hell. The devil wants you out. Like yeah, The jinn just wants to be with you. Huh. But that doesn't mean it's good for you. <laughs> okay. Right? So it still eats away at part of your soul. Yeah. It's because humans and jinn... I mean, there's stories of humans that get married to jinn. Like, it's part of the folklore, wow. too. So they can, they can copulate and do the whole thing. The human probably doesn't know it's a jinn? Or what's well, the... Well... They do think something's a little off because jinn are jinn are shapeshifters. Yeah, you know, so they can shift into any kind of form and things like that. Um, I mean, they often fall in love with people in some stories. That's even in American Gods. Oh yeah, uh, a jinn falls in love with a guy and oh yeah, yeah that right. And so uh, even I'm looking at questions here, um, and there's. There's questions on the internet where it's people who are actually concerned about the mental health of people who are possessed by the jinn. Um, there's a very interesting uh, medical article um, about the psychology of um, you know people getting possessed. A 25-year-old woman from Iraq with no previous psychiatric history gradually withdraws from other people, becomes uncommunicative, and stops eating and drinking. She's got no disease uh, and no uh, severe depressive illness. She goes through electroconvulsive therapy. Still nothing happens. Her family thinks that she's possessed by the jinn, but they don't want to tell the doctors because they they fear the doctors are going to think they're superstitious, yeah. of which anybody would. Right. Yeah. Um, so they take her like you know, to, the, to the local imam, and he says he'll treat her in the traditional Islamic way. After a few sessions of prayers, she starts eating and drinking again, uh, and then she gets better. So the exorcism works. Wow. Um, a woman of 35 experiences episodes of high fever and confusion during which her speech becomes incomprehensible. A local general practitioner diagnosed typhoid fever, gives her antibiotics. Uh, 
her family, though, thinks that she's possessed by the jinn, mm. so she doesn't take the antibiotics. She goes to the imam, mm-hmm. he does the condition in the traditional Islamic way, and then she starts to have uh, psychiatric, or I'm sorry, epileptic seizures. Uh, and this one, it didn't work. The the tradition, traditional stuff didn't work, and then they found out that she had cerebral malaria. Oh, wow, it's terrible. So in that one, science won out. But there's several cases like that where you know people have done research into mm. this kind of possession and said like, okay, well, maybe some things are gin, <laughs> sure, <laughs> maybe or a psychological placebo right. effect, and you know some things are just epilepsy, things like that. So, um, but I'm looking at the questions on the internet, and there's people asking straight up. How do you know if a jinn is in love with you? Like they're worried about being possessed. And this is on Quora. And this girl answers and she's like, um, well, I can tell you like how to um, how to not attract a jinn. So the fact that she knows how to not attract a jinn interests me. I was just going to ask what her credentials were for answering that. Well, um, she says she's seen and had her fair share of different relationships. I don't know if that's a school I'd trust a doctor from. Yeah. But here's some of her recommendations. Don't wear strong perfume at night, especially around trees. Okay. Okay. Don't wear your hair down, especially around trees. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's also an Islamic thing, the covering of the hair. And um, that's why the women wear the burqas and and things like that. Uh, Don't sing. Hear that, Wendy? No singing or a male gin's coming for you. I didn't hear what you said, Uh-oh. Mike. Oh, my God, he's behind you. Uh. Don't recite anything that sounds beautiful, especially around the tree. Don't loiter in places you think a djinn would be. Now, there's an old superstition that you're not supposed to be the first one to the market or the last one home from the market. Kind of like going to a party. It is. It is. You know, this to me almost just sounds like social <laughs> advice. It really does. It says, don't be the first one to the market because jinn like to hide in the shadows uh, between light and dark, and they like the transitional periods and things. And so uh, the marketplace is one of the places that they like going. Because, I mean, some, oh, who doesn't? some jinn love being around humans. <laughs> um, don't go out uncovered at night. That just sounds like social control for women. Like, don't, you know, make sure. Yeah, seriously. Like, you know, if I, if I like, told my wife, like, hey, you know, you shouldn't go around those guys. <laughs> and if you do, I want you to wear a beekeeper suit. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Should be covered head to toe. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, I mean, that's I mean, straight up. I mean, people believe in the jinn, just like they believe in fairies, just like they believe in uh, aliens yeah. and things like that, because it's prescribed in religion. I'm people talk about demons like it's right. real or angels. And this is the exact same kind of thing. If your religious text says that God created the jinn, well, um, that's what you tend to believe. Now, there's a whole bunch of kinds of jinn, so it's it's kind of like there's a a whole bunch of kinds of angels and a whole bunch of kinds of demons. I feel like once these things are introduced, religious people, especially when we go back to like the ninth century, the eighth century, the middle ages, anytime without television, anytime you got plenty of time to do stuff, <laughs> like hierarchies get made, different kinds of things. Like there's different colors of yeah. gin, blue gin, it's, it's yellow gin. Makes for good fire pit talking. It does. It's, it's, it's arguing about how many angels can dance around the head of the pin. Yeah. And I mean, that's something that we enjoy in this show. Yeah. But when we talk about what people really believed, I mean, we're just reading old writings and things right. like this. So they might, be, you know, they might really believe that there are gin because um, jinn love to throw rocks. They say jinn love to live in certain like abandoned cities. Ghost towns are where jinn like to go to. Um, you know, you remember Indiana Jones' the Last Crusade? Yeah. So at the end of it, they go into that uh, that valley, and they have those beautiful statues and everything. Mm-hmm. That's that's the lost city of Petra, and it's a real city in Jordan. And so those beautiful statues that they were going through, those are real. Those mm-hmm. weren't just Hollywood magic, nice. or whatever. And so they're going through the lost city of Petra. That's one of the places that the jinn are supposed to inhabit. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lost city in Saudi Arabia that's just being reopened now for tourism. And Saudi Arabia is trying to open it up for tourism. You better look out. Bingo. Because people have said that for years that that's a place where the jinn yeah. live. Oh, well, it makes sense, you know. Have your own space. You don't have to be uh, right. but, surrounded by those pesky humans and and but that's the warning though is like be careful about opening this because now you're opening it up to the world of the gin and you're opening tourists up to like take yeah. attachments home <laughs> um, oh it's like going to the haunted museum mike right it is like going to the haunted museum <laughs> but 
soldiers have come back from the Middle East, uh, I mean, after the Iraq war and the war in Afghanistan, and they've brought stuff back with them um, and had encounters. Oy. So, like, they, they bring back souvenirs. I mean, oh, okay. Like, and wartime souvenirs is a long tradition. Yeah. Like, I think everybody's grandfather or whatever that fought in the Second <laughs> World War, like, nicked something from like a german nice. <laughs> or whatever or like oh i brought this like like a luger back i mean that's when you could fly with guns or whatever right right and so they bring back a a german gun or they'll bring or like back a like, pocket knife or something like yeah, that something from like a, a souvenir wand from their enemy and it's not any different today when the soldiers come back from afghanistan mm-hmm. and so if they bring back a trinket they bring back little statues um you know, they they bring back little icons like Pazuzu and the Exorcist. <laughs> you know, and it's funny because we were talking about Pazuzu in the episode with the nun because he is one of the demons listed in the Lesser Key of Solomon, which is a grimoire from the uh, Middle Ages of demons that you could contact to do your bidding in yes. the name of God. So you can still be Christian and get demons to do things for you. We wrote a song called that. Right, The Lesser Key of Solomon. So the reason I want to mention that is that because jinn are neither good or evil, as Islam spread across the continent, it could assume the gods and the deities of the people they were conquering Ah, and could bring them in to the jinn. Um, I mean, just like Christianity would change like the local gods into devils right. and things like that. Or if you get a place like voodoo where they would say, okay, let's now mix the local god with a saint. Yeah, or um, the pagan, right. same thing. So then then these people could become jinn. And in fact, uh, in the Quran, they talk about how Solomon, when he was building the temple in Jerusalem, he they didn't say that he was using demons to build the temple. They said he was using the jinn oh, to build wow. the temple. And so, like, he had a personal slave army, a jinn, build the temple because God gave him a special jinn control and ring. <laughs> nice. And, you know, what's interesting was this was actually a, um, a kind of funny apocryphal story. So one of the stories is after Solomon died, the jinn were supposed to be freed, like his, his slave group of jinn, whatever that they had control over. But he had a staff. And he died while he was holding his staff. And the staff supported him Ooh. and held him up. So because he didn't fall down, because oh, he was wow. still standing, huh. the, the jinn still thought he was alive and that he was still in charge of it. So God had to send a worm down to eat away at the staff until eventually Solomon would fall over oh, and realize he's dead. And then they could get on with their jinn lives. Yeah. Because, you know, jinn have their own hierarchy. They have their own groups, just like the idea of demons or the idea of, you know, like the devil and all the circles of hell and all those kind of things. So some of the different groups of jinn, Number one, you got the shaitan, and they are the evil ones. Okay, like those are so those are the those are the malevolent jinn. Like they want bad things to happen to us. There's the uh, afrit, and the afrit are uh, death spirits drawn to blood, Mm. and so uh, they're particularly drawn to blood of like murder victims. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, they inhabit the underworld or desolated places on the surface, such as caves. Um, they have, like, flames leaping from their mouth. Um, they can be dangerous to people, if, <laughs> obviously, with flames, and obviously because they're angry creatures. Yeah. And they're angry because they thrive on the blood of murdered people. Wow. There's those kinds of gen. There's the ghouls. So that's where we get the term ghoul from. Ah, oh, okay. Um... So ghoul are, I mean, and ghoul might not be jinn in origin because they're, bef- they're before Islam. The idea of the ghoul of a spirit around a graveyard that consumes dead bodies. Mm. So they eat, they eat human flesh and then they can take on the appearance of that person that oh they ate. Oh my gosh, that's creepy. So when you think of our idea of the modern zombie in horror fiction. Yeah. I mean, that was one of the original names oh. of Night of the Living Dead. It was like, it was Night of the Flesh Eaters. Night of the ghouls. <laughs> so, uh, you know, eventually the ghouls get assimilated by this idea of the, the spirit of the graveyard that mm-hmm. eats on flesh, takes its appearance, and mm. like hangs around there looking for more flesh to eat. <sighs> um, like they get turned into they're a kind of djinn. So, you know, they're a spirit that becomes a kind of djinn. And um, they, they don't get introduced into European society until, uh, I mean, our idea of the ghoul um, is another one from the Arabian Nights. 
So these thousand and one Arabian Nights, really, that is kind of the Western idea of if it's like, why does the Middle East always seem like the other? Why does it seem yeah. so mysterious, so far away? It's because our best idea of it is from an 18th century fiction work uh, translated and bastardized by a Frenchman. Some of the other various types of jinn there are. Uh, the John are shapeshifters who live in the desert and they can take the forms of whirlwinds. Mm. So they come through like a big sandstorm and like things. Like a um, Tasmanian devil. Yeah, like a Tasmanian <laughs> devil. And they can reveal oases to humans if they like you. Oh, that's nice. So there is like a, a, a desert spirit that's ambivalent about humans. Like they could like you. They, they also could, you know, just honey let, badger. You, let you die. Yeah, honey badger don't care. Um, the Marid is a large and powerful jinn. Um, that's that's the one in the fisherman and the jinn. Uh, that's the Marid, the, the powerful one, angry, um, but also can grant wishes. All so right. that's one of the that's one of the powerful ones. Um, I think my favorite is the police. Now this one's a pretty dumb jinn. So this is like their little lower level kind of like the um, well the reason we think he's dumb is because basically he survives by sucking your blood through your feet. That's really gross. So while you're sleeping, <laughs> uh, so you're sleeping in the desert, okay. while you're sleeping in the desert, he comes in, licks your feet, and like sucks your blood. I mean, I don't know. If Why does that make him done? It just says it's a low intelligence gin. So it seems kind of clever to me. Because he waits till you're sleeping or just... Be, yeah, and he just like, it's just your toe. So you're probably like... You just think you're being tickled. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or, you know, those ghosts that always mess with people's toes. Yeah. Or aren't that like, that's one of the Icelandic like Christmas monsters too, I think. <laughs> oh, nice. Like he's a toe licker. Like he licks your feet. <laughs> oh. Um, but the way that you can fool the police is that <laughs> the police. <laughs> I was just going to say, Mike. The palace police. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm not an Arabic speaker, okay, so I'm doing but, my best here. It can be fooled by two people sleeping end to end with the soles of their feet together. That sounds uncomfortable. Yeah. So then you, you're like, uh, <laughs> you can't move. how's that going to work? Or uh, if you put like your foot under their pillow is the way uh, you fool them. So I'm not sure if that's just a way to sleep more comfortably in the desert or something like that, like where that legend yeah, would come from. Yeah, that's really interesting, especially the end to end, because you'd have to have a really long tent. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. How big your tent got to be uh, to fool, the, to fool that little guy? a thin tent. So, you know, there's, there's these various type of jinn that, you know, that exist in folklore. And it almost, you know, it almost seems like every kind of fairy type creature. In yeah, or like paranormal phenomenon even because they're shapeshifters. So pretty much could be anything. It could be anything. And that's, you know, when you talk about the lost city of Petra and that's where the jinn live, one of the, uh, you know, one of the things that the jinn do is they throw rocks at you. So rocks seem to be thrown at you from out of nowhere. <laughs> well, that sounds like a poltergeist. Right. There's you know? a lot of ghost stories with rocks being thrown yeah. out of nowhere. So, um, you know, in a uh, in a society that doesn't necessarily believe in ghosts, like when we talk about Abrahamic Abrahamic religions, this idea of judgment day. So all our bodies are in the ground and our souls don't come out of it till judgment day. Um, that means the, that ghosts aren't supposed to exist because your spirit is waiting for God to call you up. Yeah. So any ghost walking around then has to be a different kind of creature because it can't be your deceased relative because your deceased relative is not going to get up because that's what it says in the yeah, yeah. in the in the text. So you can have this other race of beings that live in a different dimension that can be responsible for everything. And it just I the really the throwing rocks thing made me think like, "Oh yeah, well they're just Middle Eastern fairies." Mhm. Uh, I wouldn't call them that to their face. <laughs> uh but you know who went whole hog on this? Uh, a few years ago was uh, Rosemary Ellen Guy. Yeah, we saw her presentation on the gin. Yeah, and she basically said, uh, you know how like, Giorgio Tsoukakis from Ancient <laughs> Aliens, like the meme says, I'm not saying it's aliens, but it's aliens. Yeah. Uh, Rosemary, we should have had a meme of her saying, I'm not saying it's gin. But it's gin. But it's gin. Yeah, it was, I think it was like an hour long presentation. And when she just went through and slide after slide after slide of... Gin. Gin. Here's an example. And to me, it was just every form of high strangeness yeah. we've ever heard of. Shadow people. Gin. Bigfoot. <laughs> Which kind Gin. of, kind of is, Gin. you know, it's kind of a bummer. Like just... Kardashians. Gin. Here, I've got the solution. It's the answer to everything. Right. <laughs> and it, it does, you know, the, the thing is, it does provide a almost 
unified theory because they're shapeshifters because they can do because they're mentioned in ancient texts because they pre-exist right even islamic culture this idea uh i mean but spirits have always been part of the culture and otherworldly creatures and things like that and shapeshifters and tricksters Mm -hmm. have always been part of the culture too you know i i almost kind of think though that rosemary's uh, I mean, she's not on the gin kick anymore. Like she's kinda, she's <laughs> retreated. She's, she's, retreated. She, she's going after a different spirit. No. Right. Uh, like Jen Tequila. Or, or, no. Hey, I'll take that spirit I'm any kidding. day. Uh, or Zozo, like she was on for a while too. Um, well, she digs deep into these things right. for her research for books. And so it's depending on when you see your presentation, you'll get to learn yes. so much. And that was the one that I happened to catch, which was neat because I hadn't really known much about the gin at all at that time. No, I, I really just thought it was just a another thing like demons or something yeah. like, oh, yeah, well, it's a religious thing and people talk about it. But this idea that, you know, when you um, have a weird experience, it's the gin messing with you. Right. You know, and you got to be careful about what you do. Make sure you say your prayers and things like that. And it really is the same as uh, Christians worried about demons and, and things like that. Yeah. But I mean, people believe in the jinn. So there's a podcaster named Ahmed Ali Akbar. He's working for Buzzfeed mm. and he hosts a podcast called see something, say something. Oh, okay. And it's about being a Muslim in America. Cool. And near Halloween or whatever, he puts out a call for stories from the jinn to different Muslims that live in the United States. And we talked before about Muslims that were living in England and they were experiencing jinn possession and, and, and things. Ah. Um, you know, people came back with just, you know, stories on Facebook and stuff like that. Oh, uh, wow. like they, so here's just a couple. Uh, one time, my mother-in-law was sitting in her bed. She looked over and saw a woman sitting in the chair next to her bed with long pointy fingers and a face with very sharp angles. She was so frustrated and annoyed with the gins they see a lot in their house and are no longer afraid, just annoyed by them, that she reached out and grabbed the gin by its wrist. She yelled, get out. I'm tired of you. Get out. It started to try to pull its wrist away and eventually tried to bite her hand because she wouldn't let go. She pulled her hand away before it bit her and then the gin vanished. Uh, That's Sakina Blue on Facebook. What I love about these things is that there are stories on Facebook and Facebook has to be at least associated with an yeah, email address. Yeah, it's not anonymous. Yeah, so these people are like, they're actual people with friends and yeah. that's click on they're like- They're putting it out there. They click on interested in events <laughs> and things like that and they're saying like, yeah, my mom saw a gin. At my boarding school, we had a few cases of bullying. In one instance, a bully broke a chain on a student's neck. As soon as that happened, the girl started to speak in a male voice while her body contorted in strange positions. It said it was a gin and had traveled from a faraway place. Meanwhile, the bully's tongue swelled and almost prevented her from breathing. Long story short, teachers were called into the room. Apparently, her parents knew and had gotten the chain for their daughter from a shaman to hold the gin in. Oh. Uh, Tamatopi Barakat Lawal, also on Facebook. And so there's just a whole bunch of different stories that Americans uh, have about mm-hmm. the jinn. So it's almost like when we talk about American gods and how the, the like the gods from the old world are trying to get into the new. Uh, it feels like they're bringing over the jinn. Yeah. But the thing is that I mean, that first story where the mom grabs the the jinn's hand. Yeah. I mean that, that could be a ghost, is... right? But you know, usually with ghosts, it's not. There isn't a physical. You couldn't grab their hand, you know? Right. I mean, at least the way that most stories <laughs> go. And, um, it, you know, it seems that uh, a lot of different kind of people, you, you never know who's going to encounter a gin. Um, Hank Wesselman is a PhD. He's a research paleoanthropologist, and he's gone all over the Middle East. He's from the United States. He's from New York. He served in the Peace Corps in the 1960s. Uh, he lived in Nigeria for a couple of years, and got his PhD and has been studying anthropological stuff around the world. And he said that in uh, 2010, he was in Egypt and uh, he walks into a temple uh, of Medina Tabu near the Valley of the Kings. And it was a mortuary temple, so it's a place where people were buried. And he returns there and he all of a sudden gets what he calls, quote, this dialogue did not incur in English nor in Arabic, but rather in the nonverbal communication modality that I conceive of as think feeling. That's the way that aliens communicate with us. Right. In some stories. <laughs> right. Right. That's it. That they're talking to us. In their, yeah. So like this whole thing, like when 
really when Rosemary Ellen Golly was like aliens of the gin, shadow people of the gin, everybody's the gin, I'm like, get out of town. <laughs> and now I see that where she was going with sure. this whole thing. Definitely. He said that during this encounter, the gin manifested itself first as two disembodied eyeballs. I love that. That's awesome. Um, he said, this did not deter me. And then it carefully chose to reveal itself as a smoky humanoid that flickered at the edges, shifting back and forth from one vague shape to another in pastel hues of orange, yellows, and greens, with deeper core areas of more brilliant light as its mood shifted in response to its dialogue. And he has a whole uh, conversation with the djinn, and I will link to it in the show notes, but it's this like, I mean, he writes it out like a question and answer, like a Q&A with the djinn. He's like, is there anything you want? And it thinks for a while, and it says, honey. <laughs> Which is funny, because I was, uh, I was listening to this uh, one podcast, and the History Goes Bump podcast, they interview a girl who's had her own encounters with what she says of the gin, uh-huh. and her family members and friends have had encounters with the gin. And one of the friends says that when the, you know, the gin will sometimes try to talk to him in his dreams... And one time it wanted him to bake it an apple pie. Ah, that's awesome. See, the, the, Simple requests. They have, really. a preference, they have a preference for sweet things. Yeah, I can relate. And, right. I'm a hungry guy too. <laughs> and, uh, you know, when he's talking to the djinn, um, this is back to uh, Dr. Wesselman, uh, you know, he'll say like, are you guys the ones that we call aliens or extraterrestrials? And he said the deceiver, the jinn says the deceivers can take on many forms, drawing from the belief systems of humans. And there are also visitors who come here from other places. And this guy's like, other worlds? And the guy's like, yeah. <laughs> so the thing is, if you think jinn are just genies, it's way more than that. Think again. Yeah, it's way more than that. <laughs> and so, you know, I always knew there was a rich history because I'd read yeah. a lot of the stories of the Arabia. I wasn't able to make it through a thousand and one. Because <laughs> halfway through, I'm like, you might as well just kill her. Oh no, Mike. <laughs> uh, you know, um, but th- I knew there was a really a rich history of folklore that we had no idea about. You know, or we just it didn't grow up with it because it's from a different culture. But it's really cool to see the similarities. Like when we talk about the fairies of Europe, and then poltergeists in our modern ghost hunts, and then the jinn of the Middle East, we kind of see the similarities here. So that I mean. We made fun of Rosemary Ellen Galley a lot because it just sounded outrageous <laughs> calling everything the gin. Because it was yeah. like, I'm not saying that ghosts are aliens, but ghosts are aliens, you know, kind of thing. Well, it was kind of, it felt a little like, you know, we're, we were at a paranormal conference and it was just kind of like the mic drop. Like, yeah, okay. It's gin. <laughs> Here we go, everybody. <laughs> but right. no, she wasn't saying that. She was saying like, they could take this form. They could take that form. And then proceeded to list pretty much every paranormal right. <laughs> phenomenon out there. So... You know, but I think that that quote that say like, you know, what you think is strange yeah. is stranger than you think kind of goes to because this idea. That's a John Tenney, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because, uh, you know, yes, the idea just of the gin of this other race right. living along besides us that, that comes in and screws <laughs> with us every once in a while. We're almost giving them human tendencies. Yeah. And they can appear as humans. Right. So it makes it so easy to. But we we anthropomorphize yeah. them like we do with Mickey Mouse or Donald Duck. I can't do it. You do it one more time. Wait, that was bad. Hold on. I'm Duck. That's great. That is good. You know, like, like we like we anthropomorphize Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck. You know, we're also anthropomorphizing these creatures who we have no idea what they want. Yeah. You know, or these experiences that we have absolutely no explanation for. So well, like, well, you know, they must be this crazy group of people that lives alongside humans. Well, I mean, it also gives it a form that we can use to communicate with other humans, right. you know, to explain what's or to try to explain what we're experiencing. Yeah. And, and I agree with that. And um, it's really interesting how, you know, Christian mythology, when it picks up on the demons and devils of all the pagan denominations of yeah. Europe. Now, Islam did the exact same thing mm-hmm. as they cut their way through the Middle right. East. You know, they take you over and they're like, all right, we're going to take your local legend. This will make it easier. And we're going to make it less painful. <laughs> yep, And we're going to make him a jinn. And, mm-hmm. and that's how it goes. So it's just... There's so many similarities that you realize that even though the Middle East does feel like the, I mean, to me, at least, because I have had so little experience with it, it does feel like the great other, like it's completely... Very foreign. (laughs) You know, and we even had that 
you know, in the Iraq war, there was a whole problem of the U.S. military did not have enough Arabic speakers. So they were hiring any Arabic speakers they could find because there weren't enough Arabic speakers to be effective in the occupation of Iraq and Afghanistan. And so, um, and then when you think that uh, European culture has been fighting Middle Eastern culture since the first crusade, you know, uh, you just realize that it's a millennial-long clash of civilizations. But they're not really that different. Yeah. <laughs> because we still have the same... We got fairies, they got jinn. We got demons, they got jinn, you know? And uh, anyway, it's just it's cool about that. So Aladdin is not fact, just to let you know. And it's not even real Arabic folklore. It was basically through yeah. the lens of a Frenchman. But, you know, next time... Rocks come flying at you from nowhere. Just think, Will Smith is probably throwing them <laughs> yes. somewhere. He's like, welcome to Earth. <laughs> Woo! That's right. You know, speaking of Aladdin, we decided to take the, <laughs> the second greatest song from Aladdin. Because the greatest song is Friend Like Me, obviously. But, you know, like Robin Williams, he didn't sing that at the Academy Awards when it was nominated. Nell Carter sang that. Oh, wow. Give Me a Break. Yeah. And she did a, I thought she did a great job, yeah, too. All right. So Nell Carter's been dead for it 20 years. It was memorable, years. apparently. Yes, memory, because I'm like, <laughs> Nell Carter, all right. <laughs> she remembered she did a good job. <laughs> yeah. I, I, so A Friend Like Me is the best song, but the second best song is A Whole New World. So let's take oh, you guys gosh. to A Whole New World. Show you the world Shining, shimmering and splendid Tell me princess now when did you last Let your heart decide I can open your eyes Take you wonder by wonder Over sideways and under on a magic carpet right a whole new world a new fantastic point of view no one to tell us no or where to go or that we're only dreaming don't you dare close your eyes a dazzling place I never knew but when I to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. All right, and if you still like us, <laughs> make, we hope you do. Make sure to check out our Patreon community. That's othersidepodcast.com slash donate. What do we like to do with our Patreons? We love, love, love chatting with them, hearing about their own paranormal experiences, getting ideas from them for show topics and mm-hmm. people they want us to talk to and areas where we should research more. That's right. And we'd like to do that with you. 
Now, if you check out our Patreon at OthersidePodcast.com slash donate, you can see a whole bunch of different options. But the highest option is the one where you get a shout out in every single episode. <gasps> yeah, and like I, our friend Ned. Dr. Ned, thank you, my man, for making See You on the Other Side podcast possible. And to all of our Patreons, thank you so much for uh, you know your donations. Just, I mean, they they pay for the hosting, they help pay for uh, the email service, they help pay for our microphones. Yeah, and also recording studio time for yes for, for the making better versions of the songs. Yeah, so every little thing makes the show better, and you guys make it so it's a lot of extra fun. And we really, really appreciate it. So thank you. And if you're interested, uh, if you're not a Patreon member already, and you're interested in joining, just check out OthersidePodcast.com/slash/donate. He's always in a bad mood, always squacking.